Welcome to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. For our last episode of the year, we're going to close out with the story of one of Muskegon's founders and certainly one of the wealthiest men to ever call it home. No, not Charles Hackley, but a lesser-known contemporary of his, John Torrent. Now, one of the most interesting things about researching history is that you feel like you develop a connection to the topic you're studying. You feel like you know exactly what it's like to be there or to meet the person you're focusing on. However, one of the first things you learn in school taking history courses is that you can't inject your feelings, morals, or opinions into your work because people of the past lived in such different times and see things differently culturally and morally that in reality you don't know and can never really fully understand all the context of the time period that you're studying. However, there are just some times when you can't help but get a feeling about someone just based on how people of the time talk about them or the things that they do. One such example of this from our own history is Muskegon's John Torrent, who, when researching about, you can't just help but get the feeling that he is, well, to put it nicely, kind of a jerk. It is one of those situations where I believe the old saying applies, where there's smoke, there's fire. You'll see what I mean on today's episode when we focus on this former lumber baron, inventor, politician, and real estate mogul. John Torrent was born in Watertown, New York on November 20th, 1833. While he was a boy, his family moved to a farm near Kingston, Canada, where John helped his father. At 16, he left farm work for a job at a sawmill, and he wouldn't look back from there. In 1854, he moved back to the United States and settled in a small lakeside town named Grand Haven. Here he was the head sawyer at the ferry mill. The head sawyer's job was, and is very important at a mill, they run the saw and decide where to cut on the log to get the most boards. A bad head sawyer could cut into profits, while a really great one could maximize the mill's profits. Torrent must have been pretty good because a few years later he was running the entire mill. In 1857, he went to Muskegon to set up a saw for L.G. Mason. Torrent must have liked Mason or Muskegon because he would stay in Muskegon that year working for Mason and, from then on, the rest of his life. Now, with some success and money in his pocket, he settled down and in 1858 married Caroline Honor. Over the course of their marriage, the couple would have seven children, five boys, and two girls. The first, a boy named Squire, was born the same year, and the last, Lewis, was born in 1884 when Torrent was 47 and Caroline was 43. In 1859, Torrent went into business for himself, purchasing some old mill parts and setting up a shingle mill. At the shingle mill, logs or pieces of logs were cut up to roofing shingles and sold throughout the United States. The mill was pretty successful, and the 1860 census Torrent listed a real estate value of $1,500 and a purse value of $2,600. Torrent would later tear down this mill and build a combined shingle and lumber mill, which he then, in 1862, sold to John Turnbull. In 1865, Torrent built another mill in the Lakeside area and then later sold it to his brother Esau. In 1867, Torrent, Brown & Company was organized with the sawmill. In 1869, he bought the mill of George Arms, who would go into business with making Torrent and Arms. That same year, he also partnered with Patrick Dicey. Both of these partnerships would continue into the height of lumbering in the 1880s. Torrent would continue to buy and sell mills throughout his life looking to turn a profit. He would heavily build and invest near Bear Lake in North Muskegon and build a reputation there as a leader, especially after bringing a national regatta to Bear Lake. It was during this time that residents put it to a vote to change the name to Torrent Lake instead of Bear. Torrent Lake Tavern just doesn't have the same ring to it though if you ask me, so thankfully Bear Lake stuck. 
Now, rather comically, an article arguing for the name change gave the reason that delicate ladies attending the regatta would imagine if the name was Bear Lake that, quote, there were thousands of hungry Bruins on the beach trying to lure them into the capacious recesses of their dental orifices, so to speak, and by doing so, end their brief sojourn upon the stage of life, end quote. So Bear Lake does have that against it. One of the reasons Torrent bought so many mills was that he was excellent at making them more efficient and turning them into profitable ventures. He did this because Torrent was an excellent engineer and problem solver. During his life, he and his brother submitted and gained several patents for processes, equipment, and methods related to lumbering. These inventions included an endless logging chain system that allowed logs to be continuously brought into sawmills, speeding up the process from the beginning, an automatic log turner that rotated logs so boards could be cut off all sides quickly instead of having to rotate the logs manually, and a simple but rather ingenious invention called a dump cart, which was a four-wheeled wagon that could be filled with mill debris such as sawdust and scrap wood that then could be wheeled outside where a lever was engaged that opened the bottom of the cart allowing the debris to fall out. This may clean up much more efficient and less labor-intensive. However, it is probably thanks to Torrance's invention that so much mill debris made its way into Muskegon Lake, something we still have to deal with today. Of these patents, Torrance fiercely protected them. One of the themes we will see in Torrance's life is the amount of times he was in court as part of lawsuits. I'm going to talk in a bit a lot about the other things Torrance was involved in, but it's hard to imagine how he had time for anything else when you examine his court history. One example of this is when he traveled to Pittsburgh to defend his log-turner patent by bringing 14 lawsuits against companies who infringed on his patent, a move for which the Detroit News called Torrent, quote-unquote, an aggressive chap, over. By 1886, Torrance mills were producing 100 million board feet yearly and included mills in Muskegon, the tip of the Lower Peninsula, and the Upper Peninsula. It was said that this number topped any other lumber baron in the state. While lumber was always his foundation, Torrent had many interests and was always busy. Like many other mill owners, he became heavily involved in politics. In 1874, he was elected as an alderman for the city of Muskegon. Torrent's tenure as alderman would be a lot like his life, full of swirling intrigue. In 1875, Torrent became embattled in something called the Swing Bridge Swindle, or Swing Bridge Steel. As alderman, he was tasked with securing a mechanism from a bridge company in Detroit. To do this, he had one of his associates purchase the mechanism for a sum of $1,351 of Torrent's personal money. The problem comes when Torrent tried to get reimbursement from the city. He turned the $1,300 bill in, but the problem was that the city alleged the bill was only about $700, and thus that Torrent was fraudulently charging the city an extra $651 or so. An investigation was begun at the incident. However, to the news and reporter newspaper of Muskegon, it wasn't required or wouldn't do anything. Quote, that cowardly thief and his petty froggers have exerted every effort and done everything which time and money could do in a way of buying up witnesses in order to avoid a thorough and impartial investigation. But in the eyes of people today, he stands as much convicted as though he were working out his term within the prison wall. Let it be said, and to the shame and disgrace of everyone in this community, that all eyes are fixed upon John Torrent. The very name suggests every crime on record, from murder down to pickpocketing of a $700 draft. Torrent, of course, sued the newspaper over this article. In the end, the result of the investigation was inconclusive. Torrent conveniently left town a few times for business when he was asked to speak in front of the council. The company in Detroit could never seem to find or confirm the bill, and at a time claimed to be $700, but also said it was for the $1,351 Torrent had quoted the city. The bridge company would never make it to Muskegon to testify, even though they sent letters saying they would and mentioned receiving summons to come, but business was also too busy to make the time to come to Muskegon. 
Rumors of Torrent paying hush money abounded. In the end, Torrent resigned along with several other city officials, but he was never charged. You can see what I mean by when I say there is smoke, there is fire with Torrent. There is certainly lots of smoke around this, even though the fire was never found. Some other instances of the smoke cloud following Torrent include when Torrent opened up a saloon next to his theater for his patrons before and after shows. Now you might be thinking, what's wrong with that? Sounds like a great idea. Well, this was following on the heels of Torrent the year before accepting presidency of the Citizens League, a group that's goal was to enforce regulations on the sale of liquor and beer, especially to minors, and to clean up the town from drunkards. Even Torrent's contemporaries were baffled by this move and couldn't decide if Torrent was that money-hungry or if he was being careless with his name and reputation, or if a business partner somehow made the move without informing him. Another scandal of Torrance on the edge of legal or moral grounds was when in 1885, Torrent and Dicey were assessed $17,000 for personal property at their mill, including logs and lumber. Torrent and Dicey argued they didn't have any personal property in Muskegon at the time of the assessment, as they had sold their logs to the Muskegon Booming Company, which Torrent was a partial owner in. He also said he didn't have any stocks, bonds, or mortgages of lumber at the mill. To make it even more fishy, Torrent moved to Detroit about a month prior to the assessment and then moved back about two months after the assessment. Nothing illegal seemingly, but nonetheless a little odd, boring on the edge of tax evasion. Even though his early foray into politics went poorly, Torrent ran and won alderman seats many times after the Swing Bridge swindle. Then in 1887, he ran for mayor and was elected. When he was elected, a jubilant crowd went to his home to serenade him. He let them in and then made a short speech. During his reign as mayor, Torrent would work on many projects, including passing an ordinance on free-range animals, which outlawed geese, goats, sheep, mules, horses, and cattle from wandering downtown Muskegon. It seems crazy to think of 1886 Muskegon with cattle roaming the streets and yards. Another major achievement was the construction of a new poorhouse after he witnessed the terrible conditions of the old poorhouse. He worked to expand electricity and also water and sewer service in Muskegon, which also was in need of major upgrades. He redid the city charter and annexed Lakeside into the city of Muskegon. He also reorganized the police and fire departments with better equipment and a more professional staff, replacing those who were not up to high standards. However, since we are talking John Torrent, it wasn't all good. Torrent was re-elected mayor in 1888, but then lost to Martin Walks the following year. Before he left office, though, he laid some groundwork for his future. You see, the city was looking for a place to deposit its money, and Torrent used his connections with officers and counselors to put in a bid under the bank of, quote-unquote, John Torrent. No, really, it was in the paper listed, quote-unquote, John Torrent. This was after the city had voted on if, quote-unquote, John Torrent could qualify as a bank. Shortly after he left as mayor, the city voted to place its money with the bank of, quote-unquote, John Torrent, as he had the winning bid providing 4 and an eighth percent interest as compared to the next a four and one-tenth percent interest from the Muskegon Savings Bank, a miraculously close bid that Torrent would in no way could have known about. Maybe. The current mayor, Walks, was furious by this vote and refused to deposit the money and filed a motion that the bank, quote-unquote, John Torrent, didn't exist and wasn't a legal bank even though the council had voted it was. Funny enough, as this reached the courts, you start to see ads in the paper for a, quote-unquote, John Torrent bank, ads which disappeared as soon as the case was over. In the end, Torrent lost out, and the Michigan Supreme Court said the city could accept another bid. While politician, inventor, and lumber baron were all hats he wore, Torrent still had more. For a man that dealt with boards all of his life, he never seemed to get his fill of them because John Torrent served on more company boards than boards that his mills cut. Okay, maybe a little exaggeration, but really, not much. Torrent, in his life, was president of the Merchants National Bank, Muskegon Street Railway Company, 
Muskegon Railway Company, North Muskegon Iron Works, Muskegon Car Company, The Century Club, and the Muskegon Booming Company. He was also director of the Muskegon County Agricultural and Driving Park Association and was on the board for the Muskegon Board of Trade, the Opera House, and Ackley College in Grand Haven, as well as many of the other companies he later became president of that I mentioned earlier. He also served on the vestry for St. Paul's Church and was involved in many more things, I have no doubt. Makes you feel like you're a bit underachieving, huh? Hard to imagine how he had time to have seven children and raise them. Lastly, in our story of John Torrent, the Renaissance man of Muskegon, I want to cover what he focused on in later life. Once lumber had hit its peak, Torrent was quick to realize that lumbermen needed to branch out. He was known for being ahead of the curve in his thinking. One of the main ways he branched out was into real estate. Torrent began snapping up real estate not only in Muskegon, but also Chicago. This was on top of the large lumber tracks he was still buying and selling. In 1891, Torrent bought an entire block in Chicago between Humboldt and Garfield Park for about $300,000. He would buy even more later that year, so his total amounted to some $600,000 invested in Chicago real estate, or around $16 million today. In Muskegon County, he bought a large tract of Martin Ryerson's land along the lake shore to use it to develop industrial growth. This also gave him control of the booming grounds and the river which he intended to build a dam over to use it to power said new factories he was planning. Of this plan, Torrent was said to be, quote, greatly taken up by his scheme and smiles at the idea of being a prime mover in a project that will not only be of vast benefit to himself, but to the entire city. Another one of these potential projects was a 200-acre area that Torrent wanted to donate for a park in Muskegon Township near Nuego Road. Torrent also owned 80 acres on Mona Lake, where he had his farm. Now, as we've seen before, Torrent just couldn't stay out of scandal, and even in real estate, he had many scandals. As he developed a reputation for real estate acumen, Torrent was called on by a fellow lumber baron to help with a project in 1890. That lumber baron was Charles Hackley, and the project to build Hackley Park. In order for this to happen, though, Hackley needed to obtain an entire city block. Not wanting word to get out, he had Torrent secure options for the purchase from all the homeowners so it could be announced at once, and Hackley wouldn't have to worry about prices being driven up or a holdout. Things were going smoothly until Torrent got a deal that was too good to pass up, and he purchased two lots on the land for himself for about $9,000, just when he had all the other options secured. He then offered those two lots to Hackley for $18,000, even though he had just secured them for half of that. Hackley, needless to say, was a bit miffed at this and refused to pay the exorbitant price, and even threatened to cancel the entire project. Torrent, meanwhile, refused to come down the price or to work with arbitrators, even after being slammed in the papers for this action. Eventually, a very grumpy Hackley offered 16000 to Torrent, which he accepted, even though Hackley was quoted as saying he knew it wasn't worth nearly that amount. Torrent's most famous legacy, though, in Muskegon isn't his moves as mayor or his business, but rather the construction of his magnificent house, which still stands today. The Torrent house began construction in 1891. He hired Grand Rapids architect firm Johnson & Johnson to design the structure and gave them no limit for the price of its construction. By May, plans were drawn up for a $100,000 home. It was to be constructed out of Bedford Bluestone and was destined to be one of the largest and grandest homes in Muskegon at the time. The construction, however, ran into multiple problems. Designs had to be changed, and a labor strike in the middle of the project caused much delay when union bricklayers took up issue with non-union stone layers working on the Torrent House and school across the street. Then, in 1894, just when the house was about to be finished, a fire broke out in early morning, damaging much of the lower floor. The repairs were estimated to be about $2,000, or $60,000 in today's money, which had to be paid out of pocket as there was no insurance on the house yet. Ouch. Repairs were made, and finally the family moved in by May 14th of 1894. 
Over the years, the house has had a long history, being transformed into a mortuary, a hospital, the home of the Red Cross, and currently the genealogical department of the Hackley Library. On October 21, 1915, John Torrent died in his Webster Street home after a short illness at the age of 82. He lived a long and productive life and left behind quite a legacy. In a 1876 article in the Muskegon Chronicle, they summed up Torrent pretty well, I think. Quote, Strong common sense and iron will, indomitable energy, and self-confidence sustain him in adversity. While he may not be a striking example of Christian meekness and grace, yet there are not many who profess more virtue that exhibit as much. Mr. Torrent is a self-made man who came to Muskegon poor, and who by sheer force of character and will and tireless energy has held his way with others who have created a fortune. A man of few words, he thinks, speaks, and acts with decision and judgment. Like all men who are decisive in character, he is not without assailants, disguised and open, but he regards all such as he does obstacles in the way of business to overcome. End quote. Today, many people know only of Torrent from his home and the short description of him on the marker outside, but there is much more to the story of his life that can be fit in a simple sign. I'd like to thank you for listening to Muskegon History and Beyond. If you have not already, please subscribe to our podcast on Podomatic or through your podcasting service. We hope you have a great new year, and we'll be back in 2019 for our next episode. 